Well, if you'd please find a copy of God's Word, either your own or uh, in the pew in front of you, and turn to Genesis uh, chapter 21. If you are using the pew Bible, you'll find that on page 20. Page 20. And so now let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his armies, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs uh, you will take from my hand, and this, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because they, both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant of Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abimelech planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, we are so thankful for your word. And we ask, O Father, that you would, by your spirit, uh, make it clear to us and use it, O Lord, to change us and to transform us more and more into the image of your Son. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever really thought about what it will mean to live forever in heaven? Have you ever really tried to get your mind around that? You know, one of the things I often hear is, I don't want to live forever. Have you ever heard that before? Because certainly, and certainly you understand where that's coming from, because we can't conceive of a place where we would want to live forever. And praise God that God will make us fit for heaven. I believe that's in a Christmas carol. You know, even as we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, you know, 10,000 years is longer than the earth's been around. Imagine if you had been at creation and you still continued to exist and still had a few thousand years left to go. That's a long time. And yet we would have only begun at that point. It's hard for us to understand and get our minds around heaven about living in eternity, but we as believers are eternal beings, at least in an eternity future sense. We were given this new life when we were saved, born again, that we would have everlasting, eternal life. I think Ecclesiastes 3.11 sums it up well, where we read, He has made everything beautiful in its time, Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Eternity is not something that we're able to get our minds quite around, but we serve a God who is the everlasting or eternal God. 
while we may live forever in heaven, if you're a believer, that is true, in eternity future, God is eternal in ways that we are not, for there's never been a time in which He did not exist. Indeed, even if we use the word time, is, is that the right word? Was there a time in which God did not exist? Because even time itself was a creation by God. There was a time in which there was no time. You confused yet? One of the attributes of God is that He is incomprehensible. That doesn't mean that we can't comprehend things about God. It's that we cannot fully comprehend God, that there are things that about Him, because He is so different than we are, that we will never fully understand, not just here, but also in heaven, to the praise of His glorious grace. You know, we can go back to the beginning of the universe, and at that point, God had already existed before the march of time began. You know, when we contemplate the attributes of God, so oftentimes we make God too much like ourselves. Um, We bring Him down way too many notches. I once heard an illustration. um, It's a great podcast. I commend it to you. It's called The White Horse Inn. Uh, It's it's just a fantastic weekly podcast that goes through different theological views, uh, points from different perspectives, and and points us to the greater truths of the Reformation. It's just so good. And and I remember very distinctly one time they had this illustration, and they said, next time you're outside and you see an ant on the ground, and you think about the difference between you and that ant, it's a pretty big difference, isn't it? But the difference between God and us is infinitely greater than the distance between us and that ant. God is holy. He is altogether other. He is creator and we are created. In our, in our text this morning, we see a new name for God that we haven't seen before. In fact, it's the only place in Scripture that it technically occurs. It's referred to in other places in different forms, and we'll uh, deal with those today. But it's the everlasting God. Abraham called on the Lord, all caps, that's Yahweh, comma, the everlasting God, or El Elam. This morning, I'd like us to spend time together thinking about this attribute of God, of how He is eternal or everlasting, that we too may call on Yahweh El Elam. Before we get into this attribute of God, that He is everlasting or eternal, let's see where we are contextually. Perhaps as you read this text, you thought, hmm, I wonder what this sermon is going to be about. It's, a, it's an interesting text. There's, it seems to be a recording of a covenant, of a treaty, a non-aggression pact made between two individuals. We've met this man, Abimelech, before. He's the king of Gerar. Uh, he is a Philistine. Abraham and Sarah had gone down to sojourn in his land just a couple chapters ago, and it didn't go so well because you'll remember that Abraham, entered, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. He said, she's my sister. He did this because he thought there was no fear of God in that land, lest he die. Apparently, she was a very good-looking 89-year-old. So Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, we need to enter in a treaty together. But he begins by saying something very important. He says, God is with you in all that you do. By the way, that's a great prayer for your friends, and for your spouse. Lord, would you be with them in all that they do? God never leaves us, He never forsakes us. It's not like, Lord, please be with them, because if I don't pray this, you're not going to be with them. It's talking about God's blessing being upon them. 
And God had greatly blessed Abraham. Abraham was meant to be the blessing for the nations. And here we get a glimpse of this starting to happen, where a Gentile king comes to Abraham and asks for his blessing, seeks to be in good relationship with Abraham. And it points us ultimately to Abraham's seed, Jesus, as he calls the Gentiles who come to him for salvation, come to him seeking his peace and his grace. And so they enter into this, um, this treaty together, but there's this little hiccup in verse 25. Apparently there was a point of contention here that Abraham or his servants had dug a well and it had been stolen by Abimelech's servants. Abimelech, excuse me, Abraham wanted it back. Now, Abraham is rebuked here by Abimelech. What do you mean? This is the first I've heard of it. We've been talking for a while. Why are you just now bringing this up? Apparently, Abraham's still a little, uh, can be a little squirrely at times. Can't, can't we all, unfortunately? And so he's rebuked by this foreign king, and they finally enter into this non-aggression pact, which involves uh, seven ewe lambs. There's this exchange of livestock. They likely would have cut animals in two and walked through them, just like uh, God and Abraham did, or rather God did in Genesis 15. Um, and so finally, on the far end of this, we see Abraham settle down with a good source of water and at peace with the local tribal king. And then he does something he has done time and time again, and one I think we should do as well. He stops and he calls on the name of the Lord. What does he do? He worships God. He's in a new place. He likely would have built an altar, and he called on the name of the Lord. But 33 is very specific. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Which takes us to this name of God. Abraham worships Yahweh, that's capital O-L-O-R-D, as the everlasting and eternal God. This is El Alam. And it's, Alam is a different, difficult word to translate. It means forever, everlasting, evermore, perpetual, or ancient. When applied to God, it means that God is eternal or everlasting, meaning that He never had a beginning or an end. That's not something we can often easily understand, is it? that something can exist that did not have a beginning. You know, the world holds up the, the Big Bang Theory as this is how the world was created, but, but they never can get to the part where, well, where did that stuff come from? It's because God created it, comma, but. No one created God. He is the uncreated. He is the one who has created all that is, and nothing Uh, has been made that he, through his Son, did not make. He is the uncreated one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in one, three three in one, one in three. He has always existed. They, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have always existed. Before time was created, there was never a time in which God was not God. He wasn't created or made. This is why when we get to Genesis 1 and John 1, these two great passages about creation Genesis 1.1, what do we read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, God was before the beginning. All that we see and experience and taste and and observe in in the skies above, any of the things we can't observe in the skies above because they are so far from us, He made all of that. 
The heavens and the earth were created by God, which means God existed before they were made. You know, we don't even have words really appropriate. How do you, what words shall we use to describe a God who is eternal and everlasting and has always existed? But this is really important. Because did you know that your salvation depends on an eternal God? In fact, when He called you, when He chose you, that happened before He created the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us, when? Before the foundation of the world. Before, in the beginning, God created, they had had, He had had what, what theologians call the council of redemption. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had an eternity past. I even use language of time. An eternity past. And called, had, had elected His people to who would, whom He would send a Savior, the second person of Trinity, to save. And here is the everlasting God before He created time who would send His Son, who is God, the second person of Trinity, to enter into time to save those of His creation who had rebelled against their Creator. And He decided to do this before the world was made. I wonder if He loves us. His love for us is rooted in eternity past. It has always existed. When Adam and Eve were created, God's love for you was already proven. It was already written on the books. Our everlasting God, His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 103 tells us that. It's the same word, everlasting, olam. God has always existed. He is eternal in both directions. And He is the same today as He was yesterday and He will be tomorrow. We heard this in our call to worship. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations, Psalm 90 tells us. Before the mountains were brought forth... Wherever you form the earth and this world from everlasting to everlasting. And now this is important. Notice this verb tense. Before all this was done, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Because verb tenses don't even make sense when you begin to speak of a God who always was and is and is to come. God cannot die. This world will pass away. Our treasures will rot and rust. These things that we trust in will lose their luster. Even the mountains, they, as, as firm as they are, they slowly erode away. Wind and the pebbles in the wind, they, they bear down those large rocks, but not the everlasting God. He lasts forever, and there's nothing that can limit Him, nothing that can strain Him or contain Him. He cannot be threatened by anything or anyone. He is limitless. That is, He is limited by nothing. His power, His love, His grace, His mercy are infinite. And when these qualities of God are infinite, it doesn't mean He has a lot of it. It means that there is no way to measure it because it has no end. They are infinite. God is the one who fills the entire age and time and space, and yet He is bigger than our universe. Solomon said this in 1 Kings 1, excuse me, 8, 27, Behold, the heavens and the highest heaven cannot contain you. He had just built the temple. And he said, look, the heavens and the highest heaven, they can't contain you. This temple surely can't. And yet, 
this eternal God, the everlasting God, He dwells inside of all of His children. We have within us the everlasting God. Here is the one who stepped out of time and space, excuse me, stepped out of eternity and went into time and space to become man. And so being fully God and fully man, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down His life so that we might live in eternity future with Him. He has always existed in the past and He will always exist in the future. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When this world comes to an end, and it will, but it won't be from an asteroid, right? It won't be from global warming. It'll be because of something far more impressive and far more sudden. When the Son of God comes again, when He returns in glory, and at that point, He will just be beginning that which we were made for. And that is to live with Him in the new heavens, the new earth, forever and ever, world without end. Amen. See, when we were saved, we, are, we were united to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. We are united to Him, and since He cannot die, then our union with Him can never end. It's, it's like super glue, right? Gorilla glue. It can't be undone kind of glue because we've been united to our Savior. And all that the Father gives me, Jesus says in John 6, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We won't be cast out on the day of judgment into the outer darkness. Because Christ, the Eternal One, has gone through the darkness of the wrath of God so that we are, who are united to Him might live in the light and life forever in heaven with God. There will never be a time when our Savior ceases to exist. They tried to kill Him, and it didn't work. The chains of death could not hold Him. Death had no power over Him. And all those who trust in God will be raised up on the last day when Christ comes back to make all things new. One of the implications of God being eternal or everlasting is that He has a different relationship with time than we do. Do you remember when you were young? For some of you, that was recent. For some of you, less recent. Uh, time was different, wasn't it? Summer lasted forever. Like, I just remember, like, summer just, like, it was only two and a half, three months, even at my age, you know, it, it was, now it's like four or five days, it's so short. Uh, but I just remember this long expanse. But now it's not so much, right? Time is different when you're in the dentist chair, right? Those five minutes of drilling seem like forever. The sounds and the smell, so wonderful. But then those five minutes can be so different when you're holding your grandchildren. As one of my friends says, the days are so long and the years are so quick. But they're the same number of milliseconds in each one of those minutes. Same number of minutes, an hour, hours in a day, days in a year, and so on and so forth. We experience time differently than God. He is timeless, where we are bound by time. 
2 Peter 3.8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. But even our experience of time is, is faulty. Did you know that we actually live 70 milliseconds in the past? We never live in the present. Because there's a lag between what our eyes see and our brain processes. It's about 70 milliseconds. All right, if you're going 85 miles an hour down the interstate, you've gone 10 feet. You're responding to something 10 feet ago. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) We are limited by time. We live chronologically. Our lives are linear, always. There's a future and there's a past. But not God. The everlasting, eternal one, El Elam, He is timeless. One, that means He doesn't age. That's, That's a given. But it also means that He lives in what theologians call the eternal present seeing all things at the same time. How do, you, how do we even contemplate that? By the way, and this is mere conjecture, you know, I think the prayers of God's people centuries ago are still before the throne of God. I really do. Have you prayed for your great-great-grandchildren? It's not like when you stop living, those prayers go away. God, who is an eternal, eternity present, He's applying those to their lives, even though in our time they haven't been born. Okay, so what, is this, what does this matter? Besides the fact that it's awesome and this is God, and we are called to worship Him. But what are the implications for our day-to-day life? There are a whole bunch, but I just want to identify a few in our time together. First, it means that God's promises are trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. The banks of this world may fall and fail. We've, we've been through that many times, right? Colonial Bank in Montgomery. One day it existed, the next day it didn't. I know that because in my last church, I had a desk that belonged to Colonial Bank. It had been bought by the city of Montgomery for pennies on the dollar. And I opened up my drawer, and there was a bill for one of their corporate jets, Right? And it no longer existed. And see, once they stopped existing, they had no power to fulfill their promises to their depositors. But God always exists. He is from age to age the same. This is why we started the service today with immortal, invisible, God only wise. He's immortal. He he doesn't die. He lives forever, past, present, and future. Or, Or like with a will, I can make promises to you in this life. Right? But, but when I die, my, my ability to fulfill my promises, it ends because the will could be contested. The judge may say, I don't like the will. In France, it doesn't matter what you want. The judge decides what happens. It doesn't matter what's on your will. The judge decides. When I die, I have no more power. Jesus never dies. He is the everlasting one. And so all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can take his promises to a bank that your sins really are forgiven that you really will be raised up on the last day, that you will be clothed with immortality, and that the new heavens and new earth are going to be far better than we can ever ask or imagine. And Jesus will be there when we get to the celestial city. Secondly, though, God gives us the right perspective as we contemplate His eternality and our transient transience. You know, when we think of the difference between us and an ant, 
the difference between those things. And yet, the difference between us and God is infinitely greater than those things. Now, now what if that ant, you're walking along and an ant looks up at you and starts talking to you about how unfair you are, unjust you are, and a terrible human. You're going to do one of two things. You're going to sell that ant for a bunch of money, or you're going to squash it. Why? Because who is that ant to make accusations against me? And yet the difference between us and God is far greater, and yet so often we bring God down. We act as if He's one of us. We're told in Isaiah 40, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? The answer to those things is nobody. Because God is God and we are not. And so it causes us to humble ourselves before the everlasting God. And then it magnifies God's love for us. For how could this eternal God against whom we have rebelled in sin, and yet His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so God shows compassion to those who fear Him. Psalm 103. All that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Him. And nothing can snatch them out of His hand. It humbles us. It makes us appreciate all the more God's grace and God's love that He would enter into time and space in order to save us, that we might live with Him forever and eternity. Finally, it causes us to number our days. We began our service from Psalm 90, uh, where we have the same word, olam, everlasting. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But there's another verse that's quite famous from this psalm. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Those of you who have grown a little bit older, you view your mortality differently than those who are young, don't you? As you begin to see your friends dying, as you begin to experience more health problems, God begins to work in your heart and prepare you right, for the next season through the Jordan finally to the celestial city. Um, But, you know, we live in a society that is largely obsessed with youth and pretending like aging process is something that happens to your neighbor. But only God is the everlasting one. Now, there is a a sense in which, first, we must go through the mourning of the reality of our own mortality. And and death is in this world because of Adam and Eve's sin. It, It is the last enemy that will finally be destroyed when Christ returns. So first we have to mourn through that. But then on the other side of that mourning, there's that comfort and that peace and that perspective that comes from knowing, yet though I die, John 11, yet shall I live. My family and I, we've just finished reading Little Pilgrim's Progress. It's an adaptation of Pilgrim's Progress for kids. We read over an hour yesterday morning to finish it. Uh, Unbelievable. And at the end, Christian, uh, who is, what is, what is this? He's a rabbit, who's a rabbit in the Little Pilgrim's Progress. He takes off his armor. And there's one last trial to go through, and it's the river. 
And on the far side of the river is the celestial city. There's heaven. And it's scary. And Christian is scared. Because the water looks deep. But a shining one, one of the angels, comes and said, it looks deep, but it's not. And you will go through this. I can't go through it with you, the angel says. But I will be on the far side of it. But do you know who went through death, who went through the river for us? The everlasting one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. I will not fear, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For he died, the everlasting one, who was clothed in humanity. He really did die, and he really did rise again. The everlasting one offers you eternal life. Do you have this eternal life? It begins at the moment of our conversion. It begins when the Spirit gives you new birth as you call on the name of Jesus for salvation. And your eternity will be different forever. Let's pray. O God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Calls us, O Lord, uh, as we reflect on these things, to sing your praises all the more. And we yearn for the day in which we are clothed in immortality. And we live with you forever in the celestial city. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.